0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays.
1: Our first reading tonight is Mark 8, verses 31 to 38. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his, his disciples, and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or What can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels." The second reading tonight is found in 1 Peter, chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. Starting to read at verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good.
0: Rachel, uh, thank you very much indeed. With the uh, Bible passage in front of us, uh, uh, do please uh, uh, leave it open. Let me pray for us now. Our Father, you, our God, we've uh, just sung of you that you have spoken through your word. And because that is our deep conviction here and our belief, we pray that you'd help us now to be attentive uh, to your word, uh, to be listening as listening to the very words of God. And we pray not only that we'd listen, but that our hearts would be open to your word, that we may take it to heart, indeed be encouraged by it, and that our lives would be transformed as a result of this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Prince Charles, who is, of course, uh, heir to the British throne, addressed a gathering at the House of Lords last week. And made an eloquent eloquent plea for religious tolerance both in this country and across the world. You might have read about it in the newspaper. The Sunday Express reported it like this. Prince Charles urged Muslim leaders and people of other faiths to be more tolerant today after warning of the, quote, indescribable tragedy, end of quote, of persecution of Christians in the Middle East. Uh, He spoke as a a global report described the rising tide of anti-Christian persecution in several parts of the world as catastrophic. The report pointed out that Christians remain the most persecuted religious minority in the world. Now it is crucial for us to grasp that because when I chat to Christians here in Britain who are going through a hard time, many of them think it is strange that they are suffering for being Christian. Now look what Peter writes in chapter 4 and verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. In these uh, last months we've heard of Christians suffering serious persecution in other parts of the world, most notably in Iraq and Syria, but it's happening all over the world. In a very helpful article by the BBC correspondent Caroline Wyatt, she reminds us of the plight of Miriam Ibrahim. She was the young Christian mother from Sudan who, when she refused to renounce her faith in Christ, was placed on death row for apostasy, for not being a Muslim. Miriam has now started a a new life in America with her husband and children following an international outcry. But Caroline Wyatt asks, as she writes this article, how many more Miriams are there? well the answer is many now it's not on the same scale but here in britain we're increasingly hearing of Christians suffering as they stand up for christ the coalition for marriage website carries the story of brian barclay who was dismissed by the british red cross after 18 years serving as a volunteer that was another story that made a national newspaper brian barclay was dismissed for his view on christian marriage for stating clearly that he believed that marriage should be between one man and one woman. So for 18 years, Mr Barclay worked for the British Red Cross, and in that time he had worked on 84 cases helping to track down missing persons and reunite families that had been torn apart by conflict. But it seems that stating his Christian views on marriage preclude him from being a volunteer and continuing to do that work for the British Red Cross. No, he's not lost his life. He's not even lost a full-time job but his dismissal from the British Red Cross is a little demonstration of how standing up for what we believe as Christians is becoming less and less acceptable in British society. And so verse 12 is especially helpful for us. Don't be surprised when that sort of thing happens. Of course the truth is we are surprised when we suffer for our Christian faith For so many years in Britain, we've largely been exempt from suffering for our faith in Christ. Uh, Tim Chester in this uh, little uh, Bible study book on 1 Peter uh, called uh, Living in the Real World uh, writes writes this uh, in his introduction. Christians in the West have had an easy ride for the last couple of centuries with freedom to practice their faith meet together, read and teach the Bible and spread the good news of the gospel. This is unusual compared to the, with the experience of most Bible-believing Christians throughout history and worldwide today. That's exactly what Peter says. Look on to chapter five, verse nine. We'll look at this in a a couple of weeks time. But look now, chapter five, verse nine, talking about the devil and the sort of struggles we have against the devil. He says, resist him, standing firm in the faith. Listen to this, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. It's not unusual to suffer for Christ. It's happening to people all over the world. So chapter four, verse 12, don't be surprised when it happens to you. Here in Britain, we are surprised because largely we've been exempt from suffering in these last years. As a result, we've not taught people when they become Christians that it is the normal Christian experience to suffer for Christ. See, let me ask you for a moment, when you became a Christian or when you were thinking about becoming a follower of Christ, did anyone sit you down and say, look, you need to know that if you become a Christian, it will be hard, you will be rejected. It may cost you friends. Family might reject you. You might lose your job. Anybody ever say that to you when you became a Christian or when you were thinking it through? It's one of the many reasons I so appreciate the Christianity Explored course, because during the course, we look at Mark chapter eight that we had read. Look, turn with me, if you will, to Mark chapter eight, and we'll just see this very clearly. It's page 1012, 1012, the first of the two readings uh, that Rachel read for us, 1012, 1012, And we'll see clearly here Jesus' own teaching that he would suffer and that anyone who follows him will suffer. Uh, Mark chapter 8, page 1012, and I'm reading from verse 31. Jesus began to teach his disciples that the Son of Man, that's uh, the language, the the name that Jesus gave to himself, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after that rise again see jesus explained very clearly didn't he couldn't have said it more clearly he says it actually again in chapter 9 and again in chapter 10 exactly the same thing that he must suffer and then die and only then will he rise to glory and look at peter's response and note it is peter who responds here the same peter who wrote the letter that we're looking at that we know as first peter As Jesus spoke of suffering, and verse 32 spoke plainly about it, so, verse 32, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Isn't that remarkable? Peter rebuked Jesus. And so, verse 33, when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he says. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. See what Jesus is saying? A Christ who doesn't have to suffer is not the way of God. It is the way of Satan. The Christ must suffer. It's what we remember here as we take communion, as we take bread and wine. The Christ must suffer. And then he goes on to say, and anyone who follows the Christ will suffer too. Verse 34, he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, that's everybody, his disciples and anybody else who's listening in, and said if anyone would come after me he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me be self-denying and ready to die take up your cross that is the pattern of the christian life if anyone would come after me it's very striking is not it very clear about jesus's teaching we're surprised when we suffer because here in britain for so many years we've not really had to suffer for our faith And as a result, we haven't taught people that when they become Christians, that suffering is part of the Christian life. And I think we're surprised thirdly when we suffer because we have a wrong view of what it means when we suffer. Come back with me to 1 Peter and we'll see how Peter explains this. 1 Peter chapter four, page 1220. And look with me at verse 13. So he says in verse 12, don't be surprised. Uh, This sort of thing happens to you. Verse 13, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Now, isn't that a surprise? When we suffer, we think quite the opposite. We don't think we're blessed. While we might not state it this boldly, I reckon we think that being a Christian is an insurance policy against struggles. So when hard times come, we think something odd is happening and we question whether God is keeping his side of the bargain and we might even think that God has abandoned us when we're suffering for being a Christian. Listen to the the thoughts that come into our head, the the sort of the things that are coming out of our hearts uh, when we suffer for being a Christian. Do you ever think this? Why is this happening to me? What have I done to deserve this? Or why is God punishing me like this? Those are the sort of thoughts that pop into your head when you suffer. Do you see, when we have those thoughts, it betrays that we really think that suffering in the Christian life don't really go together. And those kind of thoughts show us that we think that when we do suffer, it must be that God has abandoned us. But Peter says, verse 14, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, not abandoned, not cursed, blessed suffering for christ is not a mark of god's rejection it's a mark of god's blessing now isn't that a surprise and isn't it an encouragement isn't it, aren't these encouraging verses if you're going through a hard time just because you're a christian and there are a number here who are if you've lost friends or lost face or missed out on a promotion lost a job because you've stood up for christ firstly verse 12 don't be surprised don't think that something strange is happening to you that's the normal christian life and verse 14 know that it means that you are blessed Now look, look at verse 13, because this is the pattern of the Christian life. Verse 13, rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. There's a pattern that we really should be very familiar with by now. It's one that uh, is a dominant theme throughout 1 Peter. I hope you've seen it while you've been studying it in your small groups. Suffering now, glory later. And it's there in verse 13, do you see Um, you participate in the sufferings of christ so it may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed we've seen it again and again right through i could give you all the verses but i'm not going to because we've done it before that's the pattern of the of jesus's life he suffered first and then he was taken to glory we've just seen that in mark eight it's what we remember here as we take bread and wine suffering first and then he's taken to glory Uh, indeed there'd have been no glory without suffering would there he had to suffer first and if that's what happened to jesus then it will happen to us as we follow him that's what we should expect in the christian life we will suffer now but as we do suffer for christ we can be sure there is glory to come in fact this is the real point of verse 13 it is a sign when we suffer now for christ that we are on the road to glory so Alan Stibbs puts it like this, to share therefore in Christ's sufferings here is to be on the shore road to share in his consequent glory hereafter. That's why Peter says in verse 13, rejoice. Not because you're suffering. This is not promoting a weird kind of Christian masochism. Don't go looking for suffering and, and find yourself pleased when you are suffering. But we can rejoice in suffering because if we're suffering for Christ, it's a guarantee that we're a Christian, and therefore we can be sure that glory is to come. See, suffering for Christ really does show that we're real Christians. That's his point. We see it in the in the extreme suffering of people in the Middle East right now. In the article that I mentioned earlier by Caroline Wyatt, so the BBC correspondent, she quotes a lady called Maria. She's been displaced from Syria. And uh, she says this, fighting back the tears, Maria says, I don't know if we will ever be able to go back to Syria. My mother wants to see her home again, but she may never be able to return. Well, that's just one person, Maria, but it, we know it's happened again and again and again in these last weeks. People have been displaced, uprooted from their homes and their homeland. People have lost everything because they're Christians and because they're not prepared to convert to Islam. Now look, when people keep going with Christ in those kind of situations, you know they're real Christians and you know therefore that they will be saved and enjoy eternity with Christ forever, where they will be overjoyed, verse 13. Do you see it right towards the end of verse 13 there? That's what Peter is saying. So we can even rejoice in suffering for Christ now because it tells us that we're real Christians and therefore we will in the future be overjoyed in his glory. So verse 13 speaks of the future glory we have to look forward to and verse 14 speaks of present glory in suffering. You see, the blessing of being insulted now in verse 14 is the knowledge and experience of God with us now. See, verse 14, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Isn't it interesting? Now, I think, I, I wonder if, I haven't really checked this up, but I wonder if that's the only time the Holy Spirit is described as the spirit of glory. Why? That's what he's talking about. See, when we think, we, when, we, we, when we suffer, we think it means we've done something wrong, that God has left us, but no. Being insulted for Christ is a blessing because it means the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You wouldn't suffer for Christ if you weren't a real Christian. And if you're a real Christian, the Holy Spirit is living in you. So suffering insult for Christ is a mark that the Holy Spirit is living in you. And he's described as the spirit of glory. So he points to the glory to come. But also he is a little taste of the great glory to come see the glory to come will be to be in the glorious presence of God for eternity and the Holy Spirit is God with us now so when I suffer for being a Christian I can know that God is with me he's not left me he's really with me present now and that is glory glory Isn't that terrific encouragement, way for your suffering? Isn't all that brilliant? So you see, when we suffer, we're tempted to think that something's wrong and that God has left us. Peter says, no, it's normal, verse 12. Don't be surprised when you suffer for Christ. It's happening to people all over the world. And don't think it means that God has left you, verse 13. When you suffer for Christ, it's a mark that you are a real Christian. And as a real Christian, verse 14, the Holy Spirit is really with you. And so in suffering, God hasn't left you. He's blessing you with glory, with his presence now. And that's a little foretaste of the future experience of the glory of God in eternity to come. That should be a terrific uh, uh, encouragement for anyone who's suffering for Christ. But for all this to be an encouragement, we must be sure that we are suffering because we're Christian and not for some other reason so that's what he says next verse 15 if you suffer it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler when I worked in a church in London my job was to help people think about what it meant to be a a Christian in the workplace I often found myself meeting with Christians who were getting a hard time for being Christian at work most of the time I have to say as I sat with them often just to have coffee with them I, I found it very humbling To see Christians standing up for Christ and losing out on promotion, seeing them get a hard time from their colleagues, even seeing one or two lose their jobs because they they weren't prepared to compromise as Christians, it was very humbling. It was indeed a privilege to stand with people and support them as they went through that kind of hardship. But once or twice, and it only was once or twice, but once or twice as I met with Christians who were suffering at work, as we discussed the struggles they were having, and we unpicked the complexities of their situation it became apparent that they weren't suffering because they were christian they were suffering because they were bad employees or they were just obnoxious people that's what peter warns of here in verse 15 if you suffer make sure that it really is because you're a christian and not because you deserve it and i love that last phrase at the end of verse 15 even as a meddler make sure that it's not that you're suffering because you're a meddler You see, murder and theft, the other things mentioned in verse 15, that kind of significant criminality we are unlikely to be involved in. I don't look out at you and think you are on the wrong side of the law as far far as murdering and thieving is concerned. It's unlikely, not impossible, unlikely that most of us will suffer for that kind of behaviour. But for meddling... Sticking our nose in other people's affairs, getting involved in things that are not our business, sadly, we can easily do that and then get a hard time for it. And then we put two and two together and make six and think we're suffering because we're Christian, when in fact we're suffering because we're pain in the neck. So there are great encouragements here for Christians who are suffering, but before you take those encouragements, Peter says, check out that you're not suffering just because you're a meddling nuisance. However, verse six, he quickly wants to get back to the encouragements. However, verse 16, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. he quickly says once you've checked it out if you really are suffering for uh, for being a christian praise god that you bear the name of christ and don't be ashamed you see because we might well feel ashamed when we suffer for christ i think well, why would i be ashamed well just think your way into it i've often wondered if in the near future as a christian minister i might find myself being taken to court it's not difficult to imagine the scenario the government has redefined marriage As things stand, religious institutions are not forced to follow that redefinition. But that might well change in the next few years. And so if I'm going to be true to the gospel, I might refuse to do certain marriages and I might find myself taken to court. And when I play that scenario through in my mind, well, first I wonder if I'd be courageous enough to carry it through, because I'm a bit of a coward, frankly. But if you can just use your imagination for a moment and imagine that I was brave enough. Just imagine me now taken to court, waiting outside the courtroom. And as I am, there'll be a number of others there, some who are thieves, some who are sex offenders, some who've swindled people out of money, and I imagine people looking at me and lumping me in with the rest. There I am in court. I'm the defendant, viewed as a criminal. And I will feel ashamed as I stand there. I imagine. Well, that's me. Let me put it to you. Imagine you losing your job because you've stood up for Christ. Quite possible. Those of you are doctors, there's all sorts of ethical things that you have to do that you could easily lose your job over. As a result, you lose your job, you might lose your home because you can't pay your mortgage anymore. As you imagine that, wouldn't it be great to think that one Peter has had a really big impact on the brothers and sisters here, and we love you so much that even though you've lost your job and your home, we take you into our home and we meet all your financial needs. That's loving as brothers, that was last week. Let's hope we do that. But still, just imagine your situation now. You used to have a great job in society, you used to have your own home, now somebody else is looking after you. And when you go out socially and meet people for the first time and they ask you, what do you do for a living? You have to tell them you're unemployed. How will you feel? Ashamed? There's no reason for you to, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if you do. And at dinner parties, when people talk about their homes and their exotic holidays and all the fun they're going to to have at the weekend, you have nothing to contribute to that particular conversation at the moment because you have to rely on other people now. You've lost your job and you have no money. Well, look, what I think you've done is an amazing thing. You've stood up for Christ. But in that situation at the dinner party, you'll feel ashamed, I would guess. See, when we suffer for Christ, we can think our way into the scenario. We're likely to feel ashamed for it when we're misunderstood and misrepresented. Well, says Peter, don't feel ashamed, verse 16. If you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Friends, we need to honour people who stood for Christ. We should honour those who bore the name of Christ and it cost them. And if that is you today, my friend, at whatever level, hold your head up high tonight. Praise God that you bear the name of Christ. There is no greater name to be united with. May God bless you for doing that. And may we stand with you And you don't have to feel ashamed at all in this gathering. And when you do bear the name of Christ and you bear that name and have suffered for it, let me say, you don't need to be ashamed when you think about the future. I think that's what Peter goes on to say in verse 17. He says, for it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who don't obey the gospel of God? And then he quotes if it is hard for the righteous to be saved what will become of the ungodly and the sinner now look these are these are slightly tricky verses when the judgment is happening what judgment is talking about but if i've understood them correctly they flow on from verse 16 like this verse 16 if you suffered for christ if you bear the name of christ don't be ashamed for verses 17 and 18 as god judges the world you'll have nothing to be ashamed of End of verse 18, it's the ungodly and sinners. That is Bible language for those who are not Christians. It is unbelievers who need to be ashamed and worried when the judgment comes. There is a judgment to come. Do you see, but those who bear the name of Christ don't have to worry about that. I think that's what he's saying. So then, verse 19, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. He describes there God as faithful, the faithful creator. So in your suffering, commit yourself to him, the faithful one. Trust him. Continue to do good. Continue to do the right thing. Continue to live a right life, even if it means you'll suffer for it. 4 verse 19, it is God's will that Christians suffer. We've seen that. That is the pattern of the Christian life. It's not strange when it happens. That's just how it is. So keep doing the right thing. Keep doing good. Keep looking to the Saviour who suffered first. And we'll do that as we take communion now. And as you look at him, see the way it is. Suffering now means glory to come. And as you know that, know the great encouragement here. That as you suffer for him now, you can be sure that it proves that you really are a Christian And that there will be a time, therefore, when you will be overjoyed when he takes you to be in glory with him forever. Let's pray together. Well, let me leave a moment of silence for us to make our own response to the Lord. It might be that you are one who's suffered or is suffering. Be encouraged by these great verses. It might be that you know someone who is suffering for being a Christian. Why don't you use these moments to pray for them? So I'll leave a moment of silence and then after a little while, uh, Peter Brammel will lead us in our intercessions.